All right, so if you're new or you're visiting, we've been in this series in Ephesians uh, since the fall, and we looked at the first half of this letter last year because it was more about who God is and what God's done and who we are in God, who we are because of Jesus. And then we purposely waited till the first Sunday in January to pivot out the second half of the letter, which is 10 things we're going to see in these three chapters, chapters 4, 5, and 6. There are 10 things that ought to ground you. If you're going to follow Jesus or you already are, these 10 things are true of you, but now every one of them is attached to how we live them out. So we're not just going to talk theoretically about this is who God is and this is what God has done. Okay, great. What does that mean for your everyday life? And the first verse of the second section, chapter 4, verse 1, says, As a prisoner for the Lord, therefore I urge you to live a life that's worthy of the calling that you've received. If you're a Jesus follower, if you call yourself a Christian, God called you to himself. Great. Now what? Live your life in a way that's worthy. That's the pursuit. Are we there yet? No. Are we moving in that direction? Yes. How do we move in that direction? So we're looking at 10 things. This is week three. If you missed them, all on the podcast. The first two will really ground you. We are one in Jesus. The first thing that Paul says after he says, live a life that's worthy, he reminds them. Oh, you're one. You actually belong to one another. And this is massive. It's why as a church we come together, larger group. It's why we do first Sunday, first Sunday of every month. We get the whole church in one room. It's inconvenient. It's too crowded. Yeah, 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 yeah. But we do it. Why? We're one. It's why in the summer we have meals together. Why? We're one. It's why we meet for three sessions of seven weeks in homes. Why? We're one. Because of who we are, we want to know what that means and how to live it out. That's where one. We grow together because we're united together. The second thing we saw is that we are gifted differently. You're not the same. We're not cookie cutter. Everyone has gift. Grace and gift are synonyms. You have been graced in order to be rescued by God and brought into his family. Saving grace. If you're in Jesus, that's what you've received. But there's not just saving grace. There's serving grace. God enables you with his presence and his power to serve other people. So what we're trying to do is if that's who I am, if, if I'm gifted differently, what do I want to do? I want to find out the graces, plural. You have lots of things in your life that you have that I don't have. Oh, we're one, so we need each other, we grow together. Oh, the greatest thing that you can do and I could do is to lean in, learn, explore, try, take risks, and serve, whether that's in financial uh, management, because that's your grace gift, or with kids, because that's your love and your passion, or with mercy, because you really like to listen to people's story, and you could get in with them and let them know that they're loved and help them experience the mercy that Jesus brings just because of who you are. It doesn't make a difference what it is. It does make a difference if you know what it is and you're actually using it. So th th these are not just like truths to, to tuck away in your Bible. They're to live by. All right, those are the first two. And now we're going to look at the third one, but let's read the Bible first because it's right here in Ephesians 4. We're going to start in verse 17. We're going to read through verse 24. Uh, he says it this way. Because we're one and because we've been graced or gifted differently. So I tell you this, and I insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their thinking, they are 
darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of ignorance that's in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they've been given, given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity and they're full of greed. That, however, is not the way of life that you learned. When you heard about Christ and when you were taught in him accordance with the truth that's in Jesus, you were taught with regard to the former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created, listen, to be like God in true righteousness and holiness and I should keep reading to the end of the chapter because it's all one thought, but because of time, I've kind of split it into two, and we'll pick up on the, the second half of, of this chapter here is going to tease out what this looks like, but we'll get to that next week. Write this down if you would. What's the statement for today? We are new people. Just write that down. It may seem so simplistic. It's short. Oh, I can remember it. Write it down. Here's why. When you collect all of these things together by the end of this Series, you should have some grounded things that you could slip in the front of your Bible, have a note on your phone, and when you are thinking off, you go back to them and say, No, that's not who I am. I'm, I'm in Jesus. We're new. We're new people. Now, what does that mean? We'll look at what that means later and next week. But he ties this in the letter. Remember, when they got the letter, they read the whole thing straight, they didn't chop it up into 20 weeks and take their time. With, with useless illustrations, all right? They, they just read the thing. So he just said it, if you were listening to this, a few minutes ago, but for us that was weeks, in Ephesians 2, verse 4 to 7. What, is this, what does it mean that we're new? Well, let's look at it. But because of God's great love for us, God who's rich in mercy, notice this line in verse 5, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace that you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ, and he seated us up in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that the coming ages he might show the incomparable or incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Jesus. We're not the same people. And, and so he wrote that, and then he, he teases it out now in chapter 4. We were dead is what it says. Now, if you look at that in the original language, because we're reading this in English, what does it mean that we were dead? It means we were dead. It means that. That's it. Dead means dead. Now, why is this important? Because if you come to Jesus thinking he's going to add value to your life, you're going to be sorely disappointed. If you think that the goal of the Christian life is to enhance your already pretty good but could use some help life, you're going to be totally disappointed. But if you come to Jesus and realize, I was dead, physically alive, emotionally alive, relationally alive, but in terms of knowing the life and closeness and power and presence of God, it wasn't there. God was far off to me. Why? Because I rebelled and I left. And so we have to come to God on his terms. And what is his terms? We were dead in our own failings. Even while we were dead, though, God sent his son, Jesus. So the Bible is very clear. This is love. Not that we love God, but that God loved us. And he sent his son as a, a sacrifice that will atone or cover over 
our sins. It's by grace that you've been saved. So we need to remember we're new people because God has loved us. I come bankrupt, no way of knowing him in my own strength, but he makes me alive. So that, that's huge. We're not just better people, we're new people. That's good. We're new, brand new. And what does that mean? I think we get this part. What does it mean, though? I write this down. So the, the implication, if we're new people, is we need to think about how to live. We need to think about the choices that we make. Why? I used to be dead in my trespasses, fancy word, sin, rebellion, selfishness. I used to be. And I used to be seated, metaphorically, seated, living, situated, far from the presence of God. Now, I'm a new person, and Jesus is, by the way, ruling the universe, not just America. He's ruling the universe. And guess what? I belong to him, so it's not literal. I am here on planet Earth, but I am seated with Christ. Christ is ruling the universe, and my future is to live with Christ. I'm going to live with him forever, and I am going to enjoy him forever, and God's going to have stuff for me to do forever. This is who I am. I'm a new person. So we pray now. Jesus taught us how to pray. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And how does it happen? It happens through his people. So you and I... Because we're new people. We're not just waiting to be with God in the future. And this is like a long, drawn-out pause. It's kind of like going to the movies. You paid $87 for that ticket that reclines. And you're waiting for the movie. What do they give you? The previews. They just last forever. Thank God for the reserved seat because I'll just show up 30 minutes into the movie. And the movie hasn't started. It's this long, drawn-out process. So some of us, if we're not careful, we will think that the Christian life is like the previews. Like eventually I'm going to be with God and eventually, no, now. This is the time. You're a new person created in Christ Jesus, seated with him in the heavenly realms where he has all incomparable glory and power. And guess what? He is saying to you, Jose, i got stuff for you to do. I'm empowering you. I've gifted you. I've called you. And he's saying it to every one of us. Now go do the stuff. You're a new person. Is that how you view your life? By the way, if we're new, we ought to think about how we live. We ought to think about God's call on our life. We ought to think about what he wants, not just what we want. Now, now Paul's emphatic. Look at verse 17. So I tell you this, right? And I love this phrase. I think he was from New York. I insist on it in the Lord. You know? Don't tell me what to do. Well, that's exactly what he tells them. He tells them exactly what to do. In light of who, not because he's passive aggressive. It's because he knows who he is. And he knows who they are. And he says, hey, I'm not there. I, but I'm insisting. And by the way, if you, if you actually do look at this carefully, this is not over the top. He's saying, I'm pleading with you. I'm begging you. I'm in love. Oh, come on, please. It's like if you're a parent and you know what's good for your kid. And they, they, just, they just don't see it. They honestly don't see it. Please, 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 please. This is not going to be good. And so as a parent, you, you insist in that way, out of love. Not out of anger. But, uh, but why does he do this? Because he says, 
that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do. Now, what's a Gentile? This, these are words we don't use anymore, so we, we need to think about it. Uh, anyone that didn't have, which was the Bible, the Hebrew Scriptures, the Torah, uh, anyone who didn't have that and live by that was a Gentile. So uh, he's speaking to most of the people. Most of the people in Ephesus were not taught the truth of God. So he's like, okay, there's, there's lots of ways of living there's those who know God and those who have God's word and, and follow his ways. There's those who don't. And so the junk drawer term was the Gentiles. So you think, well, who is, he, who is he talking about? Well, let's just put it in our term. I'll just translate this verse. Don't live as the Gentiles do. Let, let me translate that. Don't live as our culture in Portland does. That's, that's what he's saying. So don't think like, weirdos, but no, he's just saying the people where you live, they have a framework of life that's not grounded in God. So you're not that person. You used to do that. You used to think that. You used to say that was great. You used to be excited about that. You used to spend a lot of money on that. And now you're new. Therefore, the culture is going to keep doing that and saying this is the way to live. By the way, internally, they feel bankrupt and don't know why. Now, those of us who are in Christ, we say it in humility, we actually know why. We're disconnected from the life of God. And if I was made for God, and God is supposed to empower my life, whenever I do something that's not from his empowering presence, it will work and it will fail. And so more, 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 more. Just get more. And then why are we so rich and so depressed? Why are we so, or we have so much access to information and we are panicking with all this information. We don't even know what to do with it. We're information overload. Why is it that we can't process the information? It's because we were made by God for God. And unless we get his way, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't add up. And we don't say that with arrogance. We say it with humility. When we encounter Jesus Christ, things start to fall into place. And so he's saying, because this is true, I am warning you, don't live as the Gentiles do. What does he say next? Look at the end of verse 17. In the futility of their thinking. So he's not talking, he's not saying like, hey, Christians are the good people and everyone else are the bad people. That's not what he's saying. He's saying there's a different way of viewing reality, different way of Viewing the world and following Jesus isn't just about going to church or reading the Bible or trying to follow Jesus' commandments. It's actually about getting swallowed up into the presence of God where you realize, oh my gosh, this is the better way. Not an arrogance, but it's, it's actually it, it's the better way to live. So Jesus said, if you, if you want to gain life, give it away. You want to lose your life? Hold on to it. And that's not, that's, it's not a cheesy bumper sticker. It's the better way. And if you love God and love people, you understand who God is. It's actually the better way. Like, this, is, this is Jesus. But sometimes we think that our cultural way is, is the path to life. And he's like, you got to start where you're thinking. And look at, the, look at the contrast here. Those who are apart from Jesus, this is how they think. Uh, verse 18, they're darkened. Ooh, that's, that's not good. And their understanding. Separated from the life of God. 
Because the ignorance that's due in them due to the hardening of their hearts. So God has made himself known, and we've ignored him. So like, don't blame God that he's hiding. In everyone's own heart, they're saying, I could do it better, God. It's kind of like if, if, you're, if you're a teenager now, there was a time when your parents told you everything. This is the food. Why? This is the food. Eat it. And then you become a teenager. Well, I don't want pasta tonight. I want Mexican. To which I say, get a job. Um, but so we, and then, and then you, you move to, then you're like, well, I don't need to hear from you because I'm the boss now. I turned 18. I can vote. Yeah, but you can't take care of the rest of your life. So, but, 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 but what, here's what happens. If we're not careful, and I'm, not, I'm not picking on you because you're young. I'm just picking on you. Um, here, here's, what, here's what happens. If you're not careful, you can harden your heart to life-giving care. I'm, I'm, I'm using a funny example, but this is what happens. We get a little older, we, and what happens in life is we get a little older and we think we don't need God. I could do this. I got this. I have an education. I have a job. I have relationships. I have fun. I, I know me. And what he's saying is Gentiles, those who don't know God, think that way. And it becomes futile. It makes no sense. Darkened. No presence of God. Look at verse 19. Having lost all sensitivity. So when you ignore God, what happens eventually is you don't even, you don't even, you're not even aware of how your senses are deadened. I'll give you an example. It's like you go to the dentist. They're going to fix your tooth. They're going to do whatever. And they numb you. And what do they usually say? Don't eat for an hour. Why? Well, because you look foolish and you're going to be slobbering. More than that, you don't realize you can like bite your tongue. Why? They deadened your sensitivity. If you ignore God long enough, here's what will happen. You will become so dead in your sensitivity to what's right and wrong that you will look at verse 19. They've given themselves over to sensuality. What's that? It's a lack of restraint. Passion's good. Passion without restraint is what we call addiction. Passion without any restraint Passion without restraint will harm you. They were given over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity. Impurity is corruption. It's vile. Uh, and here in the New Testament, this word is used again and again and again about our sexuality. We begin to crave things and people become tools for my pleasure. You become an object rather than a human. If we're not careful, we will lose sensitivity to God. And if we don't keep sensitivity to God, what happens is we slip into impurity. And I love this one because it's not all about, well, you say, well, perversion or whatever. That's not my thing. And they are full of greed. That's, that's like the rest. That, that's everybody. So we think there's nothing wrong with hoarding resources. And you forget God created us to be generous and life-giving to others, and we think the whole world revolves around me acquiring resources. So at the end of my life, I've got a lot of stuff, and I don't have to work anymore so I can sit and indulge in whatever I want, which is the American nightmare. Now, if you're retired and not doing anything and enjoying your life, this is not a critique, but, a, but, but, the, but the Gentile dream is the gaining of accumulating and not even thinking that my life was meant for you. 
My life was meant for others. My life was meant for the Jesus people community. I was never intended to live my life for me. And if this sounds shocking to you, if you're new to Jesus or your friend brought you, you just need to know there's an alternative way of seeing the world, and that's what Jesus says. And those who, and this is what he says happens to those who are apart from the life of God, which are Gentiles. Now, uh, when we think about this, what does this have to do with us? Because he's really talking about people who have yet to follow Jesus. And he's saying, you're new. You're not this way. But there is a subcategory that I want to talk about. And it's those who are following Jesus and very dissatisfied. You thought following Jesus is going to change everything. And it hasn't. You thought following Jesus was going to make your world better. And it hasn't. And you're wondering... I really love God. I really want to follow Jesus. But why do I have this inner angst? Why does it seem to fall short? And I'm just going to suggest this to you. You are new, but your mind is still following the pattern of who you used to be. Your mindset. You are in Christ. You are one in him. You're diversely gifted. You're, you are made new. That's a fact. But. The dissatisfaction, I'm not saying this is every cause, but a major cause of what I'll call Christian dissatisfaction is our mindset is still thinking this old system is satisfying and we live according to the old system, not realizing that's not us. Those of you in computer world, you would know it would be like taking the old technology and an old software and try to cram everything new to it. And you realize sometimes it's just, it's incompatible. And in the same way, we live and we make choices and we wonder, why is, why is it not working for me? Could it be it just hasn't been worked out yet? This isn't a slam on you. It's just saying you've, you're following Jesus, you're, you're in him, but in your mindset, we need to allow the Holy Spirit to work out patterns that are just not like Jesus. And some of us have never been told we should do that. And what I'm saying is that's exactly what Ephesians 4 is telling us. Until we get rooted in the new mindset, we're going to be dissatisfied. Now, to clarify, this doesn't mean we're not supposed to think about ourselves and love ourselves and take care of ourselves. You know, full of greed doesn't mean that you're supposed to spend every dollar on every one else and you can't have joy. Accumulating wealth is not in and of itself evil, but just know every New Testament writer says, watch out if you get rich, it could destroy you. Everyone, including Jesus. So there's a pull, because what happens is the more wealth you have, the more your mind can get warped onto what's good. So enjoy wealth, but more than that, enjoy Jesus. So change Lasting change is going to start with the mind and how we think. Now, when I say think, you say I'm not much of a thinker. And when you look at uh, Myers-Briggs or anything else, I'm not much of a thinker, actually. I'm 100% a feeler, you know. I feel it. Why is this going to work it, in my gut? Something tells me this is right. Think and feel in the Bible are the same thing. So I'm going to call it your think-feel. In your think field, because some of you are more emotionally driven, some of you are more rationally driven. And those of you who are rationally driven, don't try to convince someone, if you were just logical, you wouldn't do that. Because those of you who are feelers are saying, well, if you just got out of your head for a second, you would know what I'm thinking and feeling. So don't argue, just know, think feel is the same. Out of your feelings, your thoughts will be driven, and out of your thoughts, your feelings will be driven. 
The Bible calls it the mind and the heart, and it's talking about the same thing. The part of us that makes us us, the way we think and the way we feel, needs to be brought into the presence of Jesus. And as we allow, and they're saying, like, this sounds great, how do I do it? We'll get to that a little later, more, much more next week. I just want you to know the contrast. The people who are the Gentiles are given over to all this stuff. Look at verse 20, because now we get the contrast. Look at what's true of you. And if you'll let it, it will grow and increase. I promise you, verse 20. That, however, is not the way of life that you learned. Underline that. 21. When you, underline this next word, heard about Christ. And were, underline this word, taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life. And then he says some things to put it off and make it new. So the mind and the way we think and feel needs to be brought under the leadership of Jesus. By the way, this doesn't happen in 10 minutes. This happens over time. And I could tell you, this is going to sound like a drag. If you want to accelerate it, I could tell you exactly how to accelerate your mind being renewed. Think about what God has said more often. This may sound boring to you, but I would almost dare you, if you have to record it yourself or there's an app, call the Bible app that will do it for you, you can listen to the Bible. Not as a religious exercise, but if you begin to hear or read or both what God has said about anything, what will happen is when you're confronted with something that's unlike it, your inner knower, your think-feel, guided by the Holy Spirit, will know, wait a minute, that sounds attractive, but that's not going to help me. And it will accelerate. If you never think about God, if you never think about what he said, if you never think about the words of Jesus, if you never consider spending time and investment in learning the Bible, hear me, do not complain when your think-feel is way off. Because your mind's being saturated by so many thoughts right now. And if none of them are processed and filtered through the Bible, through truth, then you will always be in angst. Because your inner self, the Holy Spirit is telling your inner self, Jesus is wonderful. Follow him. And everything else is telling you other stories. And, and there's, there's the angst. So you've learned, you've heard, you've taught. So this is not about, hear me, this is not replacing rules for other rules. So the Gentiles have their rules, the cultural rules, whatever Portland says or whatever your, you know, background says, this is what you should do. But Jesus says, oh, now i got to take on these new rules. No, he's saying you were taught in him. The language that Paul's using is you have now a real relationship. It's not like God just threw down a manual and said, good luck, read it, know it. Live it or else. No, he's brought himself. Jesus sits on a hill and talks to people. I love the Bible because it's very relational. Jesus does not come and write a book. As a matter of fact, he never wrote anything. Do you know Jesus never wrote anything? He sat in homes and talked with people and gave, him, gave them life. And then they wrote it down and passed it on. Jesus came to relationally change us, not just give us a new list of rules. So don't hear this as like, oh man, now I got to do this. Now I, got, I had that baggage, now I took on some new baggage. 
No, you know Jesus. And relationally, he will guide you. So we're, we need to choose to live like Jesus in order to get the life out of it. So, all right, we're new people. And because of that, we need to think about how we live. So let's get to the how. And I'm going to do this. We'll start now. I have an exercise we're going to do in a couple of minutes that's going to guide us in this process. And then we're going to come back next week and we're going to finish it out. Because uh, it begs the question, how do you do this? Write this down. We need ongoing renewal from the Holy Spirit. That's what we need. We need, we need ongoing renewal. This just doesn't happen. Like you don't change your mindset. It's like you go to college. That one class actually isn't going to change your life. It takes all of them and then more and then more. Like your life has changed over time. We want to be zapped into spiritual mature people. And that's just, you know, getting the gym membership doesn't get you in shape. It gives you the opportunity to use the equipment. And there's a big difference. So now what I'm saying is if we're going to live a life that's worthy of the calling to which we've been called, notice what he says, three metaphors real quick. Put off the old self. Now that's a metaphor we get, right? If the clothes don't fit, don't wear them. These clothes, the way of thinking, don't fit us anymore. They're out of season. They're out of date. They don't fit. Don't wear those things. Don't think. Don't do the things you used to do. We get that one. Be made new in the mind. Why do we need continual renewal from the Holy Spirit? He doesn't use the word Holy Spirit, but this is what he's implying. The Spirit will empower you to stop the old. This is not about like a new set of rules where you fail. The Holy Spirit will enable you to stop the old. The Holy Spirit will begin to reorient your mind to discern. Because in your gut, you already know what's true. But we don't feel the power to actually do it. And the Holy Spirit will enable you when you say, I want to, to walk in this way. And then he uses this last one. Put on the new self. What is that? I thought I was new. If I am new, why am I putting on the new? Maybe I'm the only one that asks these mundane questions. I don't, I don't, I have too much time in the middle of the week, evidently. Here's what he means by that. In Ephesus, when you went to, there was, it was a city, like a New York, L.A., London, full of temples everywhere. Religious. And often when you went in, you put on, like, the robe or the garland as part of your worship. And it was an external way of saying this is like holy time. If you were old enough, or maybe you went to a church that had this tradition that had, you remember choirs back in the day? They would sing songs and actually harmonize. That's pleasant. And, and, and so if you were an old enough situation, or the churches did that, they would go into the, the, the choir room and put on the what? The robes. So, so if they were bad singers, at least they looked good. And so they, they put on the robes, and they came out, and it's kind of that mindset, like, I'm not just singing songs here. We're worshiping God. It's not bad. It's actually a, a reverence. We are, so what he's saying is in the same way, you can actually inform yourself. I now follow Jesus. I'm going to put on the way God made me to live. It may not seem natural, but I'm going to put it on. The Holy Spirit does this. Oh, disclaimer, we don't get this right often. We, we, this is who we're called to be, but we, you're like, oh, this is great, but I am not, I'm not winning in this. Uh, this isn't a cop-out. It's okay that you feel like you're not winning right now. You actually are. The Holy Spirit is working in you. 
What we want to do is not resist him, which why he's, he's going to say, don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God who's in you. Because God wants to accelerate my growth, but sometimes I want to put on the old way, and that decelerates my growth. And so that's what it means to grieve the Holy Spirit, is God wants to move us forward, and we want to go backward in and, 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 and this real relationship. It's why, if you look back uh, one page um, to, to just chapter 4, verse 2, be completely humble, be gentle, patient, bearing with one another in love. It's why he tells them first, humble yourselves, love one another, be patient. Why? This process takes time. So it, you're not going to get it in a moment. Write this down if, this, if you feel discouraged right now. Don't let yesterday's failures drive your future. I think it's the essence of what Paul's saying here. You are made new. Think about how you live. And when you're, when you're moving on the taking off the old, putting on the new, having the new mindset, don't let yesterday's failures drive your future. We're making it there. It may be slow. It may seem like it has some hiccups. But God is working. The, what, what the enemy wants to do is to discourage you and to tell you you should just give up. It's not going to work. And when you feel deflated, rather than pressing into God and saying, Holy Spirit, help me, what you do is like, oh, I'm going to do it anyway. And I've been doing it anyway for a long time. So it's never going to break. It's never going to change. So why even bother? This is frustrating. Am I talking to you? Don't let yesterday's failures drive your future. You have a future in God. It's going to become natural over time. I'll give you a very real example. Uh, Carmen and I, we had dated for five years. And we've been married for 26. So 31 of my 47 years have been spent with my wife, which is amazing. Now, five years of dating, I thought I knew her. After five years, it's like, certainly you know someone, right? And there were our formative years, our teenage years, our early, 20, our early 20s were together. And when I was like, I got married, like, I don't know you at all. Now, this wasn't a bad thing. She's even better than I thought. But I, you, you, you're dating, it's a distance, and they're like, wow, you're living with this person. And then we, you know, we begin to disagree on small, insignificant things, but they're big because she's disagreeing with me. And, and so what happens, tension comes because I'm clearly right, and she clearly has another opinion. And, and so, and, and you can, if you're not careful, you can let that rub you the wrong way and bring in all sorts of negative stuff. Or you can trust the process. What's happened over 26 years of marriage is she's actually not the same person and I'm not the same person because we have formed one another. It's the weirdest thing. If you've ever been, talk to someone who's been married a long time, you realize eventually we all dress the same. <laughs> we just say it happens, it happens. Be but why? Because we'll have a conversation about something like, hey babe, I want to do this and and I know what you're going to say is you don't want to do it for this that reason, but I've thought about it. And so here's my answer to the question you have. Have you ever been there? And, and to which she'll say, do I even need to be here? <laughs> and here's my point. Here's my point. When you know someone well enough, it's no longer rules unless it's you just know. And what will happen is if you hang on, and you keep following Jesus, you'll begin to know his ways so well that when yourself is saying, you should do that, you will say to yourself, well, you know that's not going to honor Jesus, and you know, what, you know what happened last time. And then 
man, but God is so faithful. He's so good to us. He could give you the power and you'll convince yourself you shouldn't go off the tracks. That doesn't happen in two weeks. It doesn't happen in two years. So don't be frustrated at your process or if you see someone who's been following Jesus a long time, like, they've got something I don't have. Well, you know what they have? Time. Time. So make every effort to walk the walk. And for you, that may be stumbling along at the beginning. For some of you, you've been going for so long, man, you just need to unleash and let God use you. You just need to stop being passive and just get out there and lead, do whatever he's called you to do. Because you have all the miles and God's been working in your life. So go and use those grace gifts for the good of others. But remember, we put on the new self. This is something we actively do, which is created to be like God. Doesn't mean we become God, but it means we can become God-like. And that's God's goal for you. All right, how do we do this specifically? I told you we're going to do a group exercise, but don't worry. This will be, God bless you. This will be, this will be simple and hopefully thought-provoking. What we're going to do is we're going to put on the screen. Let's just do it now. The next verse is verses 25 to the end. And we are going to look at this next week. But I want you to read it now. I'm going to read it out loud. And here's the exercise. I want you to hover on one word that sticks out to you. That you believe, and you're the judge, that God would want to shape and grow. Just one. So if there's one word in there, you're like, huh, that kind of highlighted me. All I'm going to do is say, hover on that word, know that word. And we're going to transition and we're going to pray. And when we pray, you could pray into that one word. And then what I want you to do is I want you to read this again and again and again all this week. Just read it. Try to understand that word. Try to understand what that might mean for your life. I'm not saying fix it. I'm just saying think about it. So when we come next week and talk about it, the Holy Spirit can already use what you've been dwelling on and what he's been teaching you. And we just skyrocket next week and we just dive into it rather than wondering, does any of this relate to me? I'll read it and we'll, uh, we'll respond with worship. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor for we're all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're angry. Do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something youthful, useful with their own hands, that they may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building up others according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption, Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. Rather, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in, in Christ, God forgave you.